This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, John chapter 4? And while you're doing that, um, it was actually sometime around this time of last year that I was at a... Uh, I guess a function, a soiree, a, a party uh, that technically I had no business being at. There were uh, lots of people there that, uh, that I knew because I'd seen them on TV or whatever. It's kind of one of those Nashville things, you know, but they don't have any idea who I am. And so I did what I do in that kind of a situation. I planted myself uh, next to the hors d'oeuvres table. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? I want to eat my feelings, and I was apparently feeling a lot that night. So I was, um, I was polishing off some hors d'oeuvres, and then I see my friend uh, Mike Schweitzer. I don't know, Mike, I think Mike's out on the road, but, uh, but Mike, uh, I see Mike. I'm like, oh, he's, I know him, so I'm going to go hang out by Mike. Uh, and he's there with his, uh, his, his friend Bart, and we're kind of talking. If you guys pray for Mike Schweitzer and Bart Miller, they're in this new band. They're really just trying to break through, and you know what I mean? Just really praying how they can get on the other side of that. But we're... We're talking and I'm trying to act like I'm cool because now at least these two cool guys know me. You know what I mean? So it's like eighth grade all over again. Um, and in walks like, uh, like the Jeremy's Razors guy. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. By the way, that was the most famous guy in the room. People are getting selfies with that guy, including me. But uh, and in walks um, Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's across the room and oh, I, I know that guy. And, 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 and uh, Mr. Curtis Chapman is... Uh, walking across the room to talk to Bart and Mike, and, he, and he's, I'm here, so he's, he's having the moment that I have from time to time, which is, I'm pretty sure I know that guy, but I don't know where from. And I'm thinking, he kind of knows me, because we've been in a little group settings, I'd never worked with him, but we, you know, my previous life, but he, he knows me, we've sat in rooms together, and, and so the, I got a 50-50 shot of Bart and Mike thinking I'm really cool. Do you know what I mean? If, if Stephen Curtis walks up and says, hey, Darren, it's good to see you. You know, how's Shannon? How's the kids? I'm, I'm in. Um, so w- what happens is as he's walking over, I do to him what I, what I do for a lot of people like that because I appreciate it if people do it to me, which is, uh, and my wife, we actually kind of have this unwritten rule that if I do not introduce her in a setting, it's because I actually don't know the name of the person I'm talking to. And so she is allowed to throw me under the bus and say, I'm sorry, my husband's being rude. I'm Shannon. You know, and the hope is, of course, that they say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm CJ, whatever. You know. The worst is when they say, oh, it's nice to meet you, Shannon. I'm like, oh, so close. <laughs> this is not what we were. <laughs> so anyway, Mr. Uh, Curtis Chapman is walking over and hey, Bart, and uh, getting the record and all that. And, and he looks to me and I'm, I'm throwing him a bone to say, uh, hey, Stephen, it's Darren. And I'm saying Darren, you know, and he says, oh yeah, Darren. I'm like, oh, he knows me. Darren Whitehead, it's so good to see you. <laughs> How's the church? So I'm like, it's going great, mate. <laughs> the dingo, and uh, I don't know, he's from Australia. You wouldn't know that from my accent, but, uh, but I, I, I can't, it's, it's Stephen Curtis Chapman. I can't correct the guy. You know, it's not his fault. It's not, you know, but there was that moment of like, oh, this is literally eighth grade all over again. So 
Uh, to this day, I don't know whether Darren Whitehead, if, if you're new in town, Darren is a pastor at Church of the City up, up the road in Australian, and, uh, and I don't know whether I should be more hurt or he should be more hurt. I don't know, probably him, but, um, <laughs> but, but in that moment, that feeling of like, oh, because in a room like that, you kind of want them, I don't know, you know, to know your name a little bit. You know, you want, it just, it feels good that someone remembered your name. And, and in this world we're in right now, it's completely unfair because I, I don't know about if it's me, but my hard drive is full. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like I've got one of those old computers that I do a lot of writing for sermons on and occasionally it'll do the little pinwheel. Like it really wants to finish that sentence. That's happening up here sometimes. And I'm like, it's there, still spinning. So I want to, but this, the world is, is, is grand enough where you can't, so it's really not fair but if, like for instance, if, you know, Mike, if Jeremy, if Jeremy's racers guy had walked in and known my name, I'd have felt pretty good. I probably would have been insufferable the rest of the night. Like, oh, Jeremy knows I am. But God knows I needed the humility and uh, the idea that I sort of was, as I was thinking about that and this, I was like, man, that, the woman at the well, maybe the reason I resonate so much with her, maybe the reason you resonate with her, is that like to be known, not just to know your name, but to know you, and, and like the most important eyes in the universe, the Messiah knew her. It, it doesn't say that he said her name, but I would suspect that if he knew she had five husbands and the one she is with is not her husband, he probably knew her name. But either way, even though if he didn't know her name, we know this, he knew who she was. And that is the gospel 101. He knows you. Not only does he know you, he comes across the room at the party to see you specifically. He seeks you. The Bible says none seek him, no, not one. We, he seeks you, knows you, forgive. He knows everything about you and the blood of Jesus washes it all away for those who trust in him. It's a pretty good gig when you think about it. And that's why she runs back into town. That's where we left off last week, telling everybody, could this be the Messiah? He told me everything I've ever done. No shame around it. And meanwhile, the disciples were back from their Chick-fil-A run, bringing lunch back. And verse 32, John 4, he says, let's actually start in 32. The disciples are back. They're here to, you know, Jesus, they've just come upon the scene here. They've, they've said, hey, what, what were you doing talking to that woman? What's happening? And, I, and they're like, you know, he says, I've already eaten. Don't worry about it. But they're like, what is he talking about? Food. He said to them, I have food to eat, verse 32, that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Does someone else make a Popeye's run? Like, how is it possible that he's got, but my food, verse 34, said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, verse 35, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Verse 37, thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and now you have reaped the benefits of their labor. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is the light. 
Your word is a lamp. And I pray today that that word speaks into our hearts, pierces beyond our brains, through our brains, and right into our hearts. Lord, we are so blessed to live in the city, the state, this, even this country that we're in. I pray today that we would hear these words of, of this mission that you have for us and, and, and have it take hold deep in our hearts. Father, all over Middle Tennessee right now, there are believers in churches that are lifting your name high. Lord, would you be with our friends at World Outreach Church over in Murfreesboro, Pastor Alan Jackson, a man of courage and conviction, and pray that you would guard and protect what you're doing there. Father, would you be with our friends up at Harpeth Community Church, Lord, Pastor Bobby, they're doing, you're doing such amazing things in that church. We're so blessed to get to serve Jesus besides such men and women of integrity and of courage. And we know that as we all lift you up, lift up your name, lift up you, that you will draw all people unto you. And that is our honor today. So we do the lifting and we'll let you do the drawing. It's in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little kid, there was this guy named Jake Kincher. He was about, I don't know, five foot nothing. He weighed about 78 pounds, and he was this wiry little watermelon farmer. And the dude was 78 years old. It was Troy Covey's grandfather. And, I mean, at 78 years old, he's out there shooting basketball with all the kids in town, and he was just like in unbelievable shape. And he would say over and over again, well, kids, you can either eat to live or live to eat. And I'll let you guess which way I chose. But even all those years ago, the wisdom was food is not you know, just something decorative. Food is something that God gave us as a tool, as, a, as fuel to fuel our bodies. And what Jesus is saying here, that hey, the mission, like my food is this mission, it's like Jesus got this, this secret diet Food you know nothing about. It's like if uh, the Enquirer was still, or is it still around? Do they still do that? Like, like the Jesus secret diet, like the South Jesus diet, whatever. Like, the, the, this is like the diet that Jesus had that he was telling these brothers and sisters about this food. And of course, they think, like everybody else was thinking, was what's he talking about? Did he get like, did someone bring him Popeyes? Like what, food, what do you mean? But that's when he says, no, 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 my, I'm not even talking about literal food. I'm talking about a food, this food of mission, of if you will, the, the, to do the will of him who sent me and to finish what he called me to do, that that is so inspiring, so fueling for who I am that I'll even forget to eat because it's so much better for that. And in this chapter, what's left of it. We're not going to get through all of this today. I, I learned that in first service, but we're going to go as far as we can. And, and by the way, thank you all for, for y'all that are skipping the Titans game. Like it's, 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 you're saved by grace, not by works understood totally, but you get extra points in heaven for showing up. You know, on a Titans game day, I'm just saying, uh, you know, I can't prove that theologically, but I, but it feels right. You know, <laughs> that is bad theology. As Jesus is telling them that the mission is the food, 
right? And then he goes into this idea then about like the multiplication, the Samaritan woman. She's, she's now, the mission that she has, like to do the will of the Father, she has now gone into town. She is going into town with this mission, with this food, and she is saying multiplication. And then at the end of the chapter, and what we'll get to next week is, then Jesus goes to another town, and there, there's miraculous things that are happening, that there are miracles. And so those three things between this week and next week are what we're gonna cover, but I wanna start with the mission because that's what Jesus started with. The disciples are coming back. Hey, we're, they were genuinely surprised to see uh, Jesus talking to this woman and now she's gone and then he's saying, I, I have food you don't know anything of and they're like, what are you talking about? And that's when he says, the food that I'm talking about, the food that I have to eat, you know nothing about, at least not yet. And it's probably worth noting that the week before, last week, we talked about water, right? That it was the woman at the well, that it was water in her soul that she needed, the, the, the rivers of living water that would flow from within her. As John goes on, and we're gonna keep coming back to this theme of water, because water is a theme, a picture of the Holy Spirit. John chapter seven, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come, speaking of rivers, living water that would flow from within them. Water, we talked about hydration and spiritual hydration, but the beautiful thing about the Bible, the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that when he would say something like water, it wasn't just a one-dimensional idea. It's an idea that even, it just goes across the spectrum and depth, and one of the depths is that water is side of you, I, I asked uh, Donna Henderson, who was a, an anatomy slash biology, I think chemistry teacher at Independence High School, like the difference between water and food, because we're talking about food this week, water was last week, and she said this, that water is the medium in which all cell processes are carried out. Food is the source of energy, but the cell breaks down the food into smaller parts, the citric, uh, citric acid sisal, gotta be careful how they say that, citric acid cycle, and literally produces energy that runs all the body processes, but it needs to do it in water. So when Jesus said last week in chapter four that there's a time coming where we will worship him in spirit and in truth, like he's saying that in the context of uh, the Samaritans who had the first five books of the Torah, they didn't have the rest of it, so they've got those first five, and then the rest of it is kind of a real spirity, ethereal kind of thing. And, and, and in a modern context, you know, uh, there are churches where there's a whole lot of spirit and not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of truth, right? And there's a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of calisthenics, a lot of laps, and nothing wrong with any of that, but the problem is if you don't have the word, then when the spirit comes in you and you say something that contradicts what this says, that's not the spirit of God. It's one of the best ways you can ever test when someone says something, this is what the Lord says, or does, you know, is does it match or does it contradict God's word? Because if it contradicts God's word, you can immediately reject it because the spirit will not contradict the word of God, period. Which is why we need the word of God. We need the truth. So the Jews had the Torah. They had all the prophets and the law. They had all the truth. And there are churches also that that's what they have. There's, it is truth, it is truth, it is truth. And the temptation there is to become a theological porcupine. Make a lot of really great points. And nobody can touch you. 
You're too sharp. You're too abrasive. There's a time coming, Jesus said, when they will not worship on this mountain or that mountain, but they will worship me. You will worship me has now come in spirit and in truth. And that's why at Conduit, we are a church that is spirit and truth. They are not mutually exclusive. They are intertwined together. And so when Jesus says that the food that I have, right, and you'll see other places in scripture where food is talked about as uh, the bread of life, this is my body broken for you, right, the, the meat of the word, there's, there's different metaphor for food in the scripture, but this metaphor here that Jesus is using is so key because he's saying that the, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. The, the mission that he gave us to do, that's the mission that I have, and that is what fuels me. That is what keeps me going. For those of you that have done long runs, or you, 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 you crazy, I don't know if Kyle uh, Kettner is still here, but like ran through the Grand Canyon. Is Damon Gallat in here, Damon Good? Are you here? I mean, Damon runs like 50 miles in the Grand Canyon, okay? Now you don't do that on an empty stomach. You do that with, you fuel what you do with food. Like that, this food, this mission is what it is that fuels you through suffering, that fuels you through persecution and marginalization. And I think we had Rod Dreher in here a few weeks ago talking about what's happening in our culture and the question that many Eastern Europeans have in the United States is, do we have what it takes to withstand what is coming in the future and right now. And I've, I know this, a church that knows the mission, Jesus people who know the mission that he has called us to do, it will fuel us to move through anything that is coming our way. Victor Frankel, Tony Robbins, Gary V. I could go on and on. We know inherently that a good mission statement, to know your mission, that that is fuel. But the difference between a mission for your company, which there is nothing wrong with to have a good mission for your company, the mission of our church to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. But if we understand the mission that what he has called us to do here, to transform lives, to see lives transformed in our own lives and lives around us. If we get that, that that's what he's called us to do. He could have done it any way he wanted to. In fact, in Revelation, it speaks of angels flying around with bullhorns in the atmosphere preaching the gospel. Do you know that, Chloe? Like angels flying around. He could have done this any way he wanted to, but he chose you and me to be a part of that. I mean, it'd be like Stephen Curtis saying, hey, Darren, how's your family? Good to see you. You want to play bass on my next tour? Didn't happen, parenthetically. But you know what I mean? It's an honor. to You could be a part of my band. Jesus is saying, look, not only have I come to save you, the woman at the well, now I'm inviting you to go be a part of what I've called to do. That's remarkable when you think about it. The thing that's so kind about God especially as men, women too, but men especially. If you've read Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, any of that, you know this, you were born for risk, born for adventure, born to not play Nerf ball the rest of your life. 
And the very thing that this mission requires of you and of me is risk, danger, adventure. Think about how kind God is. The thing he wired you to need is the thing the mission requires. I mean, think if he wired you to need safety and comfort and coziness and boredom and then said, but the very thing the mission is going to require is the exact opposite of that. It's very kind of God. I've wired you to need this and then this mission I've called you to be a part of is going to require the thing I've given you to need to begin with. God is so good. And more than that, it's actually the thing, especially if you're a young man, that you need for your daily life and for your relational life. Women, I'll get to you in a second. But in our daily lives, John Eldridge says that a man needs a much bigger orbit than just a woman. He needs a mission, he needs a purpose. He needs to know his name. Only then is he fit for a woman. For only then does he have something to invite her into. The mission. When you're younger, especially as a guy, you think the mission is the woman. And you know the problem with that? You got her. Now you move on to the next mission. And it leaves a lot of really lonely women. Leaves a lot of really aloneness in a relationship. And there's no judgment on you. That's what our society has taught us to do. I've got the wife now, and now I've got to get my job. And there's kids. I've got to pay for the kids. I've got to... So you literally, they become, they become the mission, not a part of the mission. Do you see what he said? Something to invite her into. Younger Darren... Married Shannon Anderson, 1994, and that was my mission, and mission was accomplished. And then we moved to Nashville, I've suddenly got a job, I've got a company, and the mission is I gotta pay the bills, and, and, and we made a baby, and then the babies eat every day, sometimes like a lot of times a day, and turns out, by the way, the older the babies get, they just keep eating. I don't know how much money my kid is eating in chicken right now, but it's in the hundreds, not to the tens of dollars. That's like, if you see my son walking around with his sleeves cut out and his muscles hanging out, just know that I'm okay with that because I paid for that. So, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know he worked for it, but we paid for it. So I'm okay for him to display those things. You know what I mean? It's like a nice car. Like, look, look we bought, you know? Um, here's... The, Here's what happened though. I got the part about, I needed, I needed a mission, I needed a life purpose. We started a mission, we started feeding kids in Haiti. We planted a church. We were, we were doing these amazing things and I forgot to invite Shannon into the journey. And it was a huge mistake and a huge regret. Because it turns out, men, our women, are kind of smart. Like they can find stuff. Did you know that about your wife? They find stuff. Like I don't know if it's the uterus is like a homing device, but my wife knows where my keys are. She knows where the stuff is at Publix. Like I don't, I would never ask somebody at Publix to help me find something. 
I'm calling my wife. Out of, out of curiosity, if any other guys do that, you just call your wives. Okay, raise them high. Look, no shame. I mean, honest, a little shame on it, but but not a lot of shame. And am I right? They know where it is. <laughs> I mean, you saved me hours by just telling me where this beverage is because I've been looking for, you know. The point is, it's more than just they can find stuff. It's just that they were not only made to be a mission for you to accomplish, they're a partner in the ministry that he's called you both toward. And if I could advise young and old, invite your spouse into the mission that he has called you to be a part of. I think one of the greatest, I mean, I just cut out of the corner of my eye, but the, the Carnalis are one of the greatest tag team ministry duos that I've ever seen. They, they are in this together. God called you and created you, called you together now, and to accomplish the mission together is such an amazing way to serve the Lord. But then he goes on to say, by the way, he starts talking about like, what we're doing here, right? Which is, what is this mission that we're called to do? And we're called to do it together. But he says in verse 35, you have this saying, four months until harvest. Uh, I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I, I grew up in Kansas, Nebraska border. And one of the things you know, he's, this is specifically wheat. And by the way, it says ripe in the NIV, which is the nearly inspired version. The word is white for harvest. And the reason that it's white is you can actually watch wheat turn white when it's time for harvest. And it happens fast, by the way. It's not just a gradual over the month. It happens. And when it's time for harvest, it's time for harvest. And you've got to move quickly because in that moment, if you don't get it done within a specific amount of time, the wheat will rot and you will lose that harvest. And so here's Jesus, by the way, in this harvest in Samaria. And the disciples are like, can we just get out of here already? And he's saying to them, oh, no, 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 we got to go, we got to stay here. We're staying here two more days. Look around you, the fields are white for harvest. When I hear people say to me, and I have heard it many times over the years, some version of, man, why do we got to send all our money, all our people to all those other places around the world? People that'll say, well, where I'm from, we clean up our own backyard before we go worry about someone else's almost always said by someone who is not cleaning up their own backyard. But you know why? The fields are white for harvest in these places. When Eric goes to Asia and stands on a stage with Mark and Victoria and 100,000 people from Asia show up and they say Jesus is Lord and Allah is not, Tens of thousands of people come to Jesus. The fields are white for harvest. It doesn't mean, by the way, that our fields don't need work. It's just that we're in a different season, maybe in our field, than they are in their field. In, in, in this field, when you don't see, like, because he's actually going to head back into Cana and Capernaum, there's a sowing time and there's a reaping time. And there's time in between the sowing and there's time in between the reaping. We are in a place in America right now, especially where we are in a time of sowing. And what sowing means is a lot of tilling. And what tilling means is a lot of digging up stuff. 
means a lot of turning over rocks, it's a little messy, and it doesn't look like anything's happening because all you're doing is turning over dirt and throwing seeds in the ground and trusting that the seeds are gonna do their job. And so the question, sowing and reaping, which are you? Are you a sower or are you a reaper? Biblically, we've said this statement before, but I think that I could sum it up with this. Maybe not sower or reaper, but a goer and a sender. You can be a goer, you can be a sender. You can be both, you can be either. You can't be neither, not in the kingdom of God. So in this room, there are sowers and there are reapers. There are those who are going and there's those who are sending. They're the same person. By the way, some of the most, first people to ever, gen, I've, I've noticed this over the years, some of the most generous people that are sending missionaries are actually missionaries themselves because they just know it and feel it. I don't know if you experienced that, Shelly and Brian in China, but you see somebody that's going and you, generally speaking, you guys jump right in or, or with others because you just know it. But sometimes it's both, goers and senders. And by the way, both are okay because both are needed. Sowing and reaping. And of course, sowing and reaping, we, I mean, if you look at the woman from the well, what does she do? She goes back and she tells her testimony. She doesn't take a discipleship class. She doesn't do a, 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 a witnessing class. She doesn't, you know, she's not even going with it. Like, okay, you're gonna ask them the questions, you're gonna overcome their objections, and then you're gonna close the deal with the salvation moment. You know that nowhere in scripture does Jesus ever use the metaphor of a salesperson for evangelism. It's sowing seeds, sowing seeds. A lot of you mamas and daddies right now, us included, we are in a sowing season with some of our children and it doesn't look like anything's happening. But the sower sows the word and you continue to sow and you continue to sow there's a young man uh, that I know who recently came back to faith in, in Christ. It's someone that I spoke with years ago, prayed with, and man, he was, uh, I, I, I was making no breakthrough with him. His parents were making no breakthrough with him. 10 years later, another guy that I know is sitting down across the table with him over these last few months, and this young man is like all in right now for Jesus. He has suddenly gone from the exact opposite of angry and, and atheism and agnosticism and is now all in the kingdom of God, but it took 10 years, but there was sowing and there was reaping. And so mamas, if I can tell you anything, daddies and grandmas, keep sowing. Keep sowing because God's gonna send the reapers when it's time. And for those of us, even in this room, who have been doing sowing in different ways, I mean, think about what you're doing, you know, Jonathan, when you're building out something in the Museum of the Bible in D.C., like there's a sewing that's happening. People are walking into that museum, learning about the Bible for the first time. Who knows how many people walk out the other side believing the, the truth in a way they never understood it before because you sowed some seeds there and you just thought you were making a display. I mean, Michael Wallen, like what you're doing right now with, you're helping Christians invest in places that are, where their money is not gonna be used for terrible, to support companies that are anti and uh, horrible supporting. You're literally helping believers sow seeds in ways that support companies that are succeeding more because you get more believers investing in them. They're seed sowing. And you say, Darren, you're talking about money. I thought we were talking about the word. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. The only other place that I can think off the top of my head where I know that it talks about sowing in the New Testament. Now, you've probably seen, especially if you grew up in the 80s, you probably saw televangelists use this one, 
right? Yeah, seed time and harvest. And it was specifically about if you send your money now, especially right now, you can get your $1,000 in and then right now you can get your miracle. Um, I'm not Holy Ghost Junior. I've retired my position. Uh, I don't know where that, I'll let Jesus work that out. But I'm just telling you that is a complete abuse of that verse. I do know that. What he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 was a group of people in Jerusalem who were suffering in persecution and famine. And he's writing these churches and saying, hey, look, we need to help these people out. We need to send them money. And he's even saying, hey, in this church, you guys are great. Don't, don't let me down. I've told them how awesome you are and how generous you are. And then in that context, we're gonna take this money and we're gonna help these people. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. Turns out, it's incumbent upon the church to give you something to be cheerful about. Do you ever feel excited in those old days when we, hey, everybody get your offering envelope up in the sky. It's offering time. Like you're paying your light bill and trying to get excited about it or something. You're like, oh, I don't really feel that excited. But, but when you're allowed to give into helping people, setting slaves free, it's supposed to feel good. God loves a cheerful giver. That's supposed to feel good. You get to be a part of it. He could have chosen any way to set them free and he chose you. That's amazing. And that he says, I will then in chapter eight and nine, I will give seed to the sower in that context. So sowing and reaping isn't just handing out a gospel track. It isn't just an evangelism class. Nothing wrong with, by the way, those things. If you just narrow it to just those things, you might eliminate yourself from what the actual sowing and reaping process is, that we all have a part to play in it that we all have a part to play in the impact in somebody's life. David uh, Smallbone sent me a, a text message last night. They're, they're filming a, 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 I guess, a, we call that a biopic? I don't know what we call that. Of, uh, of, of Helen Smallbone, who's a saint, and we're all gonna be mowing our lawn in heaven for a thousand years. But in this is a guy that is playing Carmen in this film. You guys know who Carmen is? Who's in the house, JC, that one? So this is a guy playing Carmen who played an instrumental part in their lives early on, but I I say all that to say, you guys just thought you were making a movie, but you're sowing seeds. So this guy who plays Carmen, he says that he is, um, let me read this. I wanted to share this quick anecdote, something that happened. I'm standing on the street in Hollywood and an older African-American lady sitting on a bench says to me, hey, you look like Carmen. I said, excuse me? I honestly thought I heard wrong because I've never heard that before. She said, you probably don't know him, but he's a famous Christian music artist. And the truth be told, I had not heard of him before the shoot. And I said, you're not gonna believe this. And I showed her pictures from set last week and told her about the film. And we talked about Carmen. She wasn't aware he died recently from cancer. Turns out she was homeless. I gave her the rest of my per diem cash happily and she was grateful. We talked some more about it. It felt like such a blessing. I told her to be sure and listen to, you know, for King and Country, be looking out for the film. You know, feel free to pass this along to Joel, the rest of the, the point is, 30 years ago, Carmen sowed seeds into the lives of the Smallbone family. The Smallbone family be sowing seeds into this film, into this guy who is playing Carmen, who is now sowing seeds into this woman on a bench in Hollywood. 
Sowers and reapers. And what I love about the sowers and the reapers is this. Every, here's what it says. Everybody got paid the same. It seems like if you're the reaper that you're just rocking it and you're dominating, you're getting all the fun. And the sowers, man, I'm doing all this work. I mean, how many years, right, are you dredging and toiling and don't see any results? But God is so good that he says, if you're a sower or you're a reaper, you're both gonna get paid. You see, it's, It's not my crop. I don't get paid a commission. The crop, the harvest, is owned by the farmer, not by the workers. And our job, our pleasure, is that we get to harvest, be a part of this sowing and this reaping so that our God in heaven might receive ultimate glory. And so those seemingly homeschool, Sarah, you've been invested in kids for how long, right? You've been sowing and sowing and sowing, not just into your kids, but all these other kids. That sowing, the harvest is going to come someday and we're all gonna receive the same reward for it. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty grateful to God for that. Pretty doggone grateful to God for that. He said to his disciples, you guys are over here getting all this, but someone else already came along and did the work. What do you think he meant by that? Because I wondered that too. But remember what I said earlier on, the Samaritan woman? They only believed in the first five books of the Torah. They didn't believe in the prophets the minor or the major, none of that. But what did she say last week? I know that we're supposed to be looking for Messiah. How, pray tell, did she know that? There's no Messiah mentioned in the first five books of the Torah. Somebody had been sowing. Somebody told her about Messiah. And now here are the disciples getting to watch what it looks like to reap a harvest that they didn't sow. I gotta get you out of here, stand to your feet. Next week we're gonna talk about these miracles and what that looks like. But I wanna leave you with the encouragement. Keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing. And what is sowing? Sometimes it's just telling them what Jesus did for you. You know, we, we want to get a foundation in the word, absolutely. We want to be built. I mean, it's one of the things I love that David Chantel does. Every Friday, man, he's investing in these young men in systematic theology. That is important. But you don't have to wait for that to tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. You can do that this afternoon. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for choosing us, for inviting us to be in, in your band. <laughs> we get to go on your tour. We're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that even in this room, I know there are those who have sowed so generously, not just of their money, but of our lives. And I pray that just like you said in 2 Corinthians 9, that those who 
are faithful with that, that you're gonna provide even more. We've seen it over and over again in our church. We do not give to get. That is not why we do it. We give so we can give more. Pray for the families that are gonna be freed from slavery even today. The seeds that are sowed there. And Lord, for the harvest that... Lord, I just really feel a moment right now to pray for those mamas and grandmas and daddies and grandpas that are praying for their kids who are on a scenic route to the kingdom. Lord, send reapers across their path. Send sowers across their paths. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.